Welcome in to another new AMP podcast. My name is Ben DuBose, news editor with AMP Publications, where I write for both Materials Performance Magazine and with Codings Pro Magazine. On today's special episode of the podcast, I've got a new co-host with me in the form of Adam Christopher. Well, I shouldn't say new. He did record a couple of episodes with us in the past, which you may remember, and the scope is going to be fairly similar today. Adam is AMP's Manager of Government Relations, which is going to be quite useful when we reveal who our guest is. First things first, Adam, welcome back. How are you? Doing great, Ben. Thank you for having me, and I, like you, am very excited about today's guest. So I think if it's okay, I'll go ahead and give some brief introductory remarks, and we'll yeah. get to it. Yes, so, please tee him up. So we're, like I said, very excited about today's guest, Congressman John Garamendi. Congressman Garamendi represents California's 3rd District, and he serves on the House Armed Services Committee and House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Before being elected to Congress in 2009, Congressman Garamendi served in the California State Legislature uh, as California Insurance Commissioner and as California's Lieutenant Governor. He has a BA in business from UC Berkeley, an MBA from Harvard, and he was a second team All-American offensive guard at UC Berkeley and a West Coast heavyweight wrestling champion. Uh, And in addition to all of these titles, he's a corrosion prevention champion in Congress and actively promotes public safety through asset integrity and asset sustainability. So we're so excited that he's been able to join us today. Congressman Garamendi, how are you doing today, sir? I am very, very well. It's been a very interesting day. I took the red eye from California to uh, get back here to Washington. Uh, We had a bill signing today on a piece of legislation, the CHIPS and research. And I suspect some of that research money is going to wind up figuring out how we're going to maintain the awesome infrastructure that's going to be built in the years ahead. So it's all good. And then uh, one more thing happened today, and that is the ascension of... uh, the signing of the Ascension Papers for Finland and Sweden to join NATO. So I just left the White House just a moment ago to uh, uh, be at that ceremony. Really important pieces of work going on today. Wow, that is that is quite the day, and that's probably a year for most people. So thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today. Really appreciate it, uh, your time. So with that, I'll kind of start with the first question. Uh, Can you discuss, and today we really want to talk about your legislation, H.R. uh, 8033, uh, the Corrosion Repair and Bridge Act. Uh, Can you discuss the origin of this legislation and just why you believe corrosion prevention is so important to our infrastructure? Well, there's actually two different origins. Uh, There is the the historic origin, which is personal, and then there is the legislative origin, which really begins with you. Uh, bringing this issue uh, to our attention. Personally, my interest in this goes back to 1992. I was running for governor in the state of California, didn't have any money, so I thought if I could work at 100 different jobs in every one of the counties, somebody would notice. Well, one of those work days was a corrosion prevention day on one of the iconic bridges of America, the San Francisco Bay excuse me, the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. And so I was climbing around underneath that bridge, uh, working with the Painters Union uh, on a corrosion prevention. And so I've always been interested in it, having spent one day as, well, let's just say, uh, almost an apprentice. uh, It was fascinating to, uh, and to talk to the men and women that were doing that work. So that's on the personal side. 
But then when I came to Congress uh, on the uh, Transportation Committee, really began to learn from you and others about how critically important corrosion prevention is. So the money that we're spending on building these awesome infrastructures are actually able to maintain through the years. So let's talk about the bill specifically. What are some of the major highlights of this legislation that are important to you? And what are some of the other related areas and initiatives that are important to you personally? Well, I'm going to go back to the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. Uh, the, the, the painters that were working on that uh, were very, very careful about making sure that every rivet was properly uh, addressed, that uh, any sign of erosion or corrosion uh, that might be taking place on, I'm talking probably several million rivets, but they were going rivet by rivet making sure that it was uh, was not corroding and therefore creating a weakness. Uh, once they had, had properly observed, they then took the next step, which was to make sure that it was sealed uh, appropriately. And, and it just came to my mind that, and then when I came to Congress and began working on these larger legislative issues, uh, that always stuck in my mind, that you've got to, prevent corrosion, and you've got to observe it. And so the bill attempts to do that in two ways. First of all, that there be a proper uh, engineering uh, study of a structure, that it was properly uh, observed as to what uh, weaknesses, what corrosion there might be there. Uh, I would say engineer is a broad word here that would uh, cover uh, men and women who are trained, certified uh, to to study the issue of corrosion. And then how do you deal with it? These would be the, uh, I'll just say painters, other uh, skills that address the issue of how do you then uh, address what corrosion there may be uh, and to uh, take the proper steps to make sure that it does not continue or never happens in the first place. And that's what the bill does. It sets a standard uh, and requires that uh, those standards be carried out by people that are certified and trained. And that's certainly something that's kind of music to our ears and, and something that we've worked very hard to do, not just with the Congress, but with, with others uh, throughout the country and world is just raising the issue of corrosion. It's, it's not always the most exciting topic, but as you pointed out, it's probably the most essential to a, a healthy uh, infrastructure uh, throughout the country. So in the past, this language has passed the House of Representatives twice uh, with significant bipartisan support, most recently uh, in the House passed infrastructure bill. Uh, do you believe that your legislation will continue to receive bipartisan support? And how can we help get that message out there to make sure that it, it does so? Uh, well, we're now uh, looking in the uh, late summer. The elections are not so far away. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of jockeying for position. Uh, either put somebody down or build up yourself, whatever. So in the next couple of months, it's simply going to be difficult. In addition to that, we don't have much time. Uh, we do have to get the um, appropriations out. Uh, that's supposed to be done by the end of September. There's other critical, The uh, you mentioned the uh, additional infrastructure, but also the National Defense Authorization Act, which, by the way, is a very, very important place for these uh, corrosion issues uh, to be addressed. So um, 
this is a process of building support. And so that support uh, is one, making uh, the issue, uh, building knowledge. And that's why you introduce legislation, you push it, you use it as an educational tool, and you work with organizations like AMP uh, and the uh, labor unions, uh, the skilled uh, labor unions that are involved, the painters union and other similar uh, trades. Now, will it get done this year? Not impossible, but it is a heavy lift. Uh, it's also necessary to lobby. And on lobbying, there are, in my mind, uh, two different ways. One is uh, day at the Capitol. And so you all come. Uh, the unions show up, the uh, painters, uh, the uh, uh, organizations, the, uh, the engineers, certified people show up and work the halls, working on those relevant committees, specifically the, uh, in this case, the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Uh, I'm gonna come back to the Armed Services Committee before this conversation's over, but uh, you do that. The second way, which I think is equally effective, is to identify the key players. In this case, it would be the Senate and House uh, Infrastructure Committees. Uh, different names in the Senate than in the House, but nonetheless, and you work the districts. You identify, by the way, who knows anybody from uh, Cleveland, Ohio? Any of you out there uh, work the Cleveland, Ohio? Is that where your home is? And you begin to work locally. Uh, famously said by a speaker uh, some years ago, all politics are local. And so you uh, set up a local uh, relationships uh, in the uh, communities on the, where those uh, key members are from. State uh, senators a little different, but nonetheless, uh, reach out in their community. Go to their um, offices, arrange for an appointment uh, in their home office, uh, and uh, getting to know them. Uh, and so I recommend both of these avenues and also uh, make it a nationwide issue. I guess this is the third point. Uh, if I recall correctly, uh, just before the infrastructure bill was signed, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act was signed, a bridge collapsed in uh, Pennsylvania. Right, Pittsburgh. And, it, yeah. and it was a corrosion issue. And so uh, find those uh, tragedies. Fortunately, I don't think anybody was killed. But uh, there was there was a corrosion issue on a bridge across the uh, Mississippi in the Twin Cities. I think that was a corrosion issue also. So you use these uh, incidents, hopefully not uh, tragic, as was the case in uh, the Twin Cities, but uh, you use those to highlight the issue. The forensic studies make something of it. So those are three ways I would uh, recommend. Let me ask a quick follow-up as far as the bipartisanship angle. You make a very good point about how it's a heavy lift just simply to get the issue to the forefront where you could actually have legislative action on it this year just because there's so many other things going on, and that's true. With that said, I suppose the opportunity when people are making these arguments is that corrosion typically isn't a democratic or republican issue and one of the ways that a lot of these bills get bogged down is people these days are very wary about angering their base and so 
if it's seen as a democratic issue, for example, then a Republican may be hesitant to take it up and really move on it because they don't want to open themselves up to a perceived vulnerability, whether it is or not. Whereas with something like corrosion, because it's not inherently one side of the aisle, there could be an opportunity to get some action by making the case simply that, hey, this is something that the vast majority of the country voters have in common. This is a rare thing that people on both sides of the aisle can see as a need. Is that how we should be framing it? Absolutely. In just that way, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Dusty Johnson, the only representative from South Dakota. Uh, I came across a problem in my current district in California where the agricultural community could not get a container uh, or get a container on a ship. Uh, it turns out that uh, Dusty Johnson had a similar problem in South Dakota with mm -hmm. uh, his dairy industry and the soybean industry in that area. We teamed up and we put a piece of legislation uh, by about 85% of the members of Congress four times through Congress before we finally got the Senate to wake up and ultimately that became law. All that happened in nine, uh, 10 months of time and it was bipartisan. So yes, absolutely bipartisan. Uh, we're, as we uh, seek to move this issue forward and reintroduce the legislation, uh, we will be seeking that bipartisan uh, angle. And Adam will help us uh, find the appropriate Republican uh, from uh, wherever. I think he already <laughs> has a couple of them lined up and, and we'll run forward on that. Uh, there are some things you want to look for, uh, common interest, uh, you know, I don't know whose district it was in uh, Pennsylvania where the bridge mm -hmm. collapsed, but uh, those are starting points and uh, we'll go uh, absolutely bipartisan, particularly on an issue like this. Mm -hmm. Now, if it was an issue having to do with taxes or uh, any of the current hot button issues, uh, that's another problem. Mm -hmm. Besides bipartisan support, you mentioned in one of your earlier answers that the legislation is not only supported by AMP, but also the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. Can you talk about the importance of industry and unions working together for the sake of public safety and I guess beyond safety, also just improving and increasing job opportunities? How important is it for industry and unions to get on the same page on this? Extremely important. Uh, I could cite numerous examples where uh, industry is going one way and the unions are going another. Uh, in the current very divided Senate and very closely divided House of Representatives, you start, but the chances of successful uh, passage of legislation isn't good. So if you want to do is to try to structure the legislation in such a way that the, uh, the employers and uh, in this case, the unions or the employees can work in unison on a common problem. Now I could probably find uh, half a dozen issues in which the painter union is going a different way than, uh, I don't know, some company that may be uh, employing painters. So yes, absolutely. Find the common ground, work together. It's very, very important. This is what happened in that uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act. Uh, we had, uh, I don't know, we had over 300 different uh, employee organizations and an equal, not an equal number, but a large number of uh, employee organizations. 
uh, supporting it. And that made all the difference. And we certainly from an AMP perspective echo that sentiment. You know, there's not always the issue that we can work together on, but where we can, we try to emphasize that as much as possible and see what we can get done, because at the end of the day, it's quality, it's jobs, and it's it's about protecting taxpayer funds. So we certainly echo that message. I was going to ask you about expectations for the path forward, but you did a great job of already laying that out and, and laying out a potential timetable. I wanted to circle back with something that you brought up on your own, uh, the armed services uh, and Department of Defense. And for our listeners out there, I, I think most would know this, but within the DOD, there is an Office of Corrosion and Policy Oversight uh, that the Congress created many years ago. Uh, to make sure that assets are protected from uh, corrosion and that assets are ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of follow up and circle back on what uh, your thoughts were there and, and how we can really improve uh, issues there and, and, and grow and, and protect assets in the DOD land. Thank you. I, I was hoping one of us would get back to that question. Uh, not only I'm on the uh, transportation infrastructure, which basically we've been talking about, but I'm chairman of the readiness subcommittee of the House Armed Services Committee and responsible for 1,100 facilities around the world. Some of them small, uh, a radar facility, an early warning radar facility in Alaska. Some of them very big, Fort Hood, uh, Camp Lejeune, uh, you name it. Uh, the, the range of facilities is extraordinary every ship at sea salt water are we talking about corrosion oh yes big time uh on on land uh the maintenance of the facilities is as important is well is every bit as important for the military as it is for the bridge across the mississippi river uh if the uh, abrams tank is not properly maintained corrosion will immediately set in. If a ship at sea is not properly maintained, corrosion will immediately degrade that ship and quite possibly degrade it in a way in which it will not be effective as a fighting machine. And you can imagine the same thing with a, a machine gun. So virtually every single thing the military does is in one way or another potentially degraded by corrosion. And, and uh, it's, it's more than rust, it's chemical corrosion. Uh, very uh, serious chemicals uh, are commonplace in the military. Uh, toxics of all kinds. So uh, we continually look at this issue uh, and continually fight for better, maintenance of equipment. Uh, some of the tragic training deaths that have occurred this last two years are a direct result of corrosion, lack of maintenance. And so, Adam, I need your help. I need the help of, your, of the AMP organization to broaden your horizon uh, beyond bridges and uh, the traditional infrastructure in America to look at what is going on in the military. Uh, we are in a constant fight uh, with the uh, big uh, military contractors 
who want to build bright, new, shiny things. But yet, the great majority of the equipment is old, and the maintenance is a constant challenge. Just the funding. We call it operation and maintenance. It's constantly being rated by my colleagues who want to buy some bright, new, shiny piece of equipment uh, to keep the uh, defense contractors happy. But I do know, and I can cite a dozen examples right now of where a lack of maintenance has led to tragic deaths in the military and an inability to perform as um, they were supposed to. And I need your help. Absolutely. That's a message that's near and dear to our heart as well. And that's something that uh, our predecessor organizations, uh, NACE and SSBC, worked to help the Congress uh, found the, the office and, and support it. And we provide training of, of personnel, and we'd be glad to help carry that message for you because it's extremely important as you laid out. Ben, I'll leave the last question to you. Yeah, as we're winding down here, Congressman, we spoke earlier about the importance of advocacy and particularly the messaging on this issue that should be used. For anyone listening to this podcast, which of course uh, tends to be our members here at AMP, what are the most effective ways that they can get policymakers attention? Is it phone calls? Is it emails? Is it in-person visits? Is it social media campaigns? What are the ways that they can capture the attention of policymakers or their offices to make sure that this issue is closer to the front of these agendas as we head down the home stretch of this year. All politics are local. Uh, Adam, uh, I know your responsibilities are to identify those key uh, legislators on the key committees. Uh, if it's armed services, here I am. Uh, and my colleagues, Republican, uh, the the uh, ranking members, uh, assuming the Democrats continue to take, I'll probably continue as chairman. If not, I'll become a ranking member. So you work both sides uh, and take it home. Take it to my hometown. Take it to my district office. Uh, find one of your members that, uh, for example, uh, I'll have a new district that's the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, get to know me. Uh, get to know the other key uh, members of these committees. Most of this will probably pass either through the Armed Services Committee or the Transportation Committee. There will be an appropriation issue that may or may not be important, uh, depending on uh, in what, uh, what part of the appropriation the funding would be for these kind of programs. The other thing is uh, we're going to spend billions of dollars on bridges in the uh, years ahead. In fact, there's $26 billion specifically set aside in the uh, Infrastructure Job Act for bridges, and probably uh, that much more uh, in the general uh, highway and uh, transit programs. Uh, those will be bridges also. Uh, we need to make sure that as those programs go forward, that in the contracts written for a significant bridge, for example, there's going to be a new bridge across the uh, Ohio in uh, Cleveland. Uh, and that's going to be a multi-billion dollar bridge. Well, all well and good. Who's going to maintain it? Is that built into the contract? Uh, and how is it going to be maintained? 
So, uh, you know, reach out to the, uh, the, the representatives and the senators in that area and bring it to their attention. If you don't maintain it, it's going to fall down in 20 years and you're going to blow a couple of billion dollars. And somebody's likely to die. So all politics are local. Uh, bring it back to us locally. Establish those relationships as well as what you do in our committees here in Washington. Good point. Congressman, thank you so much for the insight and I'll point out for our listeners because we plan on pushing this over the next few weeks, perhaps months across many of our publications at AMP. So we may have some people listening to this in August of 2022 and there may be people listening in October or November of this year. So depending on when you're listening, I strongly encourage you to search out HR 8033 That is the official bill and you can look for it at congress.gov or you can just simply Google it and there's any number of uh, trackers out there to see where things are with the bill and how it progresses and is progressing over the weeks and months ahead. We also have our own website, but that information will be there, garamendi.house.gov. Awesome. Thank you so much, Congressman Garamendi. And this is where we will break for today. For Adam Christopher, our Manager of Government Relations and our co-host, I'm Ben DuBose. If you want more information on our end at AMP, check out our website at ampp.org, amp.org. We've got lots of updates about this bill, its progress, and of course, why we think it's important for the corrosion and protective coatings industries. And we've also got websites, materialsperformance.com and coatingsformag.com the websites for our publications in-house in which you can get all sorts of updates, uh, certainly on news, but also case studies, features, technology reviews, all sorts of things going on, timely updates from the corrosion control and protective coatings industries. With that, we will wrap up for Congressman Garamendi and Manager of Government Relations at AMP, Adam Christopher. I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon for another new AMP podcast.